to hear my friend Aaron tell the story, I saved his life. Whenever, well, I'll add a word to that. I heroically saved his life. When we were teenagers, we were on a church youth group mission trip way out in Wyoming. And as Aaron and I far too often did, we ignored or just disobeyed the chaperones that were leading our group. We had stopped at some state park to have dinner and have like a picnic dinner. And there was a river that kind of ran through the park and a little bit down, it emptied down into a waterfall, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 feet, for good measure, let's say two or 300 feet. Um, and Aaron and I disobeyed the chaperones, and we moseyed down the shore a little bit, and there were some rocks that extended out, over, uh, out into the water, and so we started walking out on the rocks, and we were just messing around, skipping rocks, playing around, everything, and eventually, I remember I'm standing on one rock, Aaron is standing on another, and he starts to like slide down this rock and into the river. You know, as you're probably aware, uh, rocks in a river or in a body of water that have water that laps over them or goes over them, they, they get smoothed out, they get very slippery when they're wet, and so Aaron could not get his footing. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't grip the rock or hang on to it. He was just kind of slowly sliding into this river that was flowing towards waterfall. And then to hear Aaron tell the story, he would say that he was panicking, that he was starting to think that he was going to get swept off into this river, thinking he was a goner. And then he, the way he tells the story, and I've heard him tell this story probably eight or ten times, and it gets better and better every time, but the way that he tells the story is he was kind of looking up into the sky as he's trying to hang on to this rock. And he's like, at this point, like waist deep in the water. And he's sliding down and he sees, like, like the, the, the sun is up in the sky so he can't really see anything. But he sees his hand just reach down and grab him and pull him out of the water. I saved Aaron's life. And it is a joy to hear him tell that story over and over and over. But I want to re rewind now. Imagine we had obeyed the rules. Imagine Aaron had just gotten a scrape on his finger, maybe trying to move a stick or something totally innocuous. And instead of saving his life, imagine I just slipped Aaron a Band-Aid for the scrape on his finger. He would not tell the story of the time Stephen gave him a band-aid. The truth of the matter is that as, I've, as one pastor pointed out this week, that as I read this week as I prepared this sermon, sometimes we can develop a band-aid view of Jesus. We say, sure, he's good, he's needed, he's important, just like I need a band-aid when I cut my finger. But we develop an idea of Jesus where he kind of patches us up as opposed to totally rescuing us, literally bringing us from death to life. And what I want to argue for you from this text, from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50, is that as I hear about from my friend Aaron, when he recounts how I 
saved his life. On a far greater level than that, let's forget my acts there, but let's consider this argument. The unmerited grace of God for us must produce abundant gratitude in us. Let me say this again. The unmerited grace of God for us must produce abundant gratitude in us. Said another way, you could consider this text, our attitude, our perspective towards Jesus, the gratitude, the the, the joy, the zeal of our hearts in love for Him will be commensurate with our understanding of His grace that has been given to us. If I don't need much grace, there's not going to be much gratitude. But if I recognize the unmerited grace, then there will be abundant gratitude. Follow along as I read from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
May God write these truths of His Word upon our hearts this morning. I want us to navigate, journey through this text by asking ourselves three questions. The first of which is, are you grateful before Jesus or do you grumble to Jesus? Are you grateful or do you grumble? The setting of this story is a dinner party at Simon the Pharisee's house. And the context is that Jesus has just, in in a couple stories prior, he has performed incredible miracles. And we're in a part of the Gospel of Luke where Jesus does a great miracle. And then he has these direct interactions with people that I think the foundational point of these interactions is they serve to challenge the reader to understand the kind of heart that can rightly see and receive this miracle-working Jesus. So Jesus has previously healed people who were near to death, and if that was not enough, he has healed a man who was dead. He has brought him back to life. He is giving sight to the blind. He is cleansing lepers. He is helping the lame to be able to walk, to be able to run, to be able to dance. And now we have an interaction like this. Last week there was an interaction where Jesus challenged the stubbornness of those who believed they did not need him. And this week the interaction is one of testing whether or not we are grateful or we grumble. This story features two central figures that serve as contrast. You have Simon the Pharisee, and you have a sinful woman of the city that is introduced. So so this meal is at Simon's house, and then verse 37 says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Suffice to say, there's some things culturally going on here that are not quite what we understand culturally in our day. In Jesus' day, feet were quite dirty. People either had kind of open-toed sandals or shoes or they walked around barefoot Add on top of that dirty, dusty roads and animals that would be used for transporting things up and down these dirty, dusty roads, and you get the idea that feet would be quite dirty. Now, there's things that are interesting or clues that we can see in a Scripture text that help us to see the full thrust of a passage. So, for instance, if you were to look at verses 36 to 39, there's something that Luke subtly, yet not so subtly, points out about these figures. I just read to you about the woman uh, who's described, she's described as a, a, a woman of the city. You might get connotations about that. I don't know what, we don't know very much about what it was exactly that her sin was that she was known for. So I encourage you not to jump towards connotations. But we do know that her sinfulness was of a magnitude that she was known, she had a reputation for being dirty, for being unclean, for being unredeemable. 
And then another context clue that we see here is look in verse 36 and following. Look at just how many times the word Pharisee is mentioned to describe Simon. One of, verse 36, one of the Pharisees. He went into one of the Pharisees' house, reclined at table. Verse 37, near the end, he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited them, it's like, hey, this other guy is a Pharisee. Pharisees were Jewish religious leaders. They were higher up on the social strata. They were respectable. They were commendable. They were buttoned up. They were cleaned up. Graduated top of their class. They brought great, uh, 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 they enhanced the reputation of their families. They did not demean the reputation of their families. In many ways, across the board, the, the reputation and the, the social standing of these two figures could not be any different. Simon the Pharisee, the sinful woman of the city. Now, as we consider gratefulness and grumbleness, gratefulness is interesting. We find, we find gratefulness to be admirable be a, a, a good character trait, something we hold up. We, we, we want to raise our children to be grateful. We appreciate gratefulness in others that perhaps we extend ourselves for. But sometimes we don't know what to be grateful for or about. Dear Christian, one of the things that can easily develop within us is a sense of entitlement to the mercies and blessings of God. Whenever we're walking through a difficult trial or circumstance and God intervenes, sometimes our attitude can be one of, well, it's about time, and not one of, oh, thanks be to God. You know, a good caution for us as we think about gratefulness and grumbling and our attitudes towards Jesus is to just think, am I more like the woman in this story and my gratefulness to Jesus for His great grace? Or is my attitude towards Jesus more like somebody, I don't know, like, like, like a cable repair man, who he says he'll come between 10 and 5, and if he's not there on time, you're just kind of angry, feeling wronged. You get great pleasure when he shows up and he fixes the internet and he gives you 75 new television channels that you think you really need and you'll never watch them. But he fixes you all up and you feel great. But then you feel disgust when you aren't receiving the service that you believe that you deserve. The problem is that our attitudes towards Jesus reveal nothing about Jesus but everything about ourselves. You can just smell the snobbishness of Simon the Pharisee in verse 39. This woman comes in, so the way that, I'm not going to lay down on stage to model for you how they laid down at like table. They, it wasn't like chairs and tables, it was kind of like tables about as high as a bench, so you'd kind of be half kneeling and your feet would be stuck out. Um, but this woman comes in and she starts washing Jesus' feet and weeping and, and, and she's drying them with her hair, which was a, a preposterous uh, a picture because a woman's hair, to, to let her hair down was viewed as immodest and inappropriate. And so she is, she's literally weeping at the feet of Jesus, cleaning his feet. And then you have Simon the Pharisee who says in verse 39, huh, if this man were a prophet, he, he would have known who 
and what sort. You just li- listen to the condescension in these words. He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. Are you grateful for the great grace of God in Christ? Or do you grumble? Do you look at others who seem to presume upon God's grace and you look down your nose at them? who seem not presume upon God's grace, who seem to have an inroads to God's grace, and you look down upon them saying they are unworthy. Brothers and sisters, let us not become gatekeepers to the mercy and love of God in Christ. So are we grateful before Jesus or do we grumble to Jesus? The second question that we can ask ourselves as we consider our hearts is how well do we grasp the depths of God's grace? Jesus, having heard these words of Simon, saying, yeah, if you knew who she was, you wouldn't be letting her do this. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say. This is verse 40. I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. So a a denarii was like a day's wage for a blue-collar laborer. So 500 denarii would be what? Like a year and a half's worth of salary. So one owed... 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, well, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. Intellectually, this story is quite easy to digest, right? You consider the differences between these two figures, buttoned up Simon the Pharisee with no real uh, issues or nothing needing addressing or cleaning up, and then there's the woman of the city who She's going to be a handful, so we're going to need all, all hands on deck to address her. And Jesus says, well, yeah, Simon, she owes a lot more. You can see why her gratitude is greater. Pretty easy, let's go about our day. Jesus has pronounced the meaning of the story. Not so fast. Intellectually, yeah, maybe it's easy to digest, but spiritually, this story has a profound depth to it. And we need to understand that there is no truth to the idea that God's grace is moving to one person and shrug-worthy to another. Simon is not the hero of this story. Simon is blind. The oomph, the weight, the burden of this story is that Simon totally misses his own need for Jesus. Jesus is basically saying to him, Simon, this woman recognizes her great need for me. You don't recognize your great need for me. See, the wonder of the gospel, which gospel simply means good news, and it's this this reality that is presented to us in, in the Bible of how we as human beings have all sinned against, transgressed against, violated the law that God has set before us as people who have been created by Him. And yet the wonder of the gospel is that it, it, it diagnoses us with far more honesty, with, with greater penetrating clarity than we would want. 
We're, we, we look at ourselves sometimes in the mirror, and we consider our, our imperfections. We say, yeah, I've got a little gray in my hair. Oh, I think I'm getting an extra wrinkle. But the, what the gospel does is it actually does like full body scans of our hearts, and it reveals our own unworthiness before God. It, it reveals that we are sinners who have transgressed, violated God's law. But what the gospel does is it not only diagnoses us, but it provides the prescription for us. And in Christ, who has been sent by God the Father, we find healing. We find grace. We find forgiveness for the sins that we carry in our heart that we are aware of, and even for the sins that we carry in our heart that we're totally unaware of. And so the difference between Simon the Pharisee and this woman of the city is that one of them recognizes their need for Jesus, and the other is too busy looking down on these people at, at his home having dinner. How well do you grasp the depths of God's grace? The wonder of the gospel is that it offers to expose and burn away any false veneers that would keep us from honest self-assessment. But we must come and see what Christ says about our need for Him. Popular saying, popular TV show of like 40 years ago, kids say the darndest things. You can picture a child saying something totally embarrassing or out of place. Mom or dad turning flush in the face like, oh my gosh, I can't believe my child's saying this, shushing them putting hand over their mouth, hurrying them away. You've been around children, perhaps it's your own children, who have no filter. Who say things that aren't supposed to be said. Definitely at times they're not supposed to be said. As adults, most of us perhaps have more of a filter on our words. But just like kids say the darndest things, our attitudes reveal the darndest things particularly our attitude towards Jesus, okay? So our attitudes or thoughts towards Jesus have no filter, just like a child's words have no filter. They reveal how little we grasp the depths of God's grace. So like I said earlier when I was illustrating it, if we fail to see our need for grace, and we have more of an attitude of entitlement towards Jesus, of expecting the things from Him that we demand of Him, then we will always fail to see who He is and the true value and worth that He would have for us. Christianity invites each of us to come and behold Jesus and be entirely changed and transformed by Him. But the problem with it that we need to recognize is that we cannot behold and be changed and be transformed by Him if we refuse to come to Him. I hope you as our church family know how much I love you. I do. So I'm going to tell this next illustration knowing that it means nothing for us. I'm not saying this for you. You have been very, very gracious with me as your pastor. There's a joke amongst pastors sometimes that you'll see a church that's advertising for a new pastor that says, we need to go a new direction. We need to take a new step. Just don't change. And come lead us in this new direction. 
That's the attitude that sometimes we can develop before God. Yeah, okay, I need to go a new direction, but God, don't, don't, no, no, don't, don't ask to touch my relationships, don't ask to touch my finances, don't ask to touch uh, my time, don't ask to touch any of these other things, don't ask to touch my, what, what gets my attention, don't ask to touch what gets my affections, don't ask to do anything about me, just make my life better. And what Jesus holds before us is he says, I make your life better by making you new. So how well do we grasp the depths of grace? You know, the greatest danger that we face as a church, brothers and sisters, is not hostility from those who would disagree with us. It's not financial or organizational woes that may come upon us. It's not a 150-year-old building that every once in a while reveals something that needs to be repaired. No. The greatest danger that we would face as a church would be believing ourselves to be full of grace to the point that we get up from the table of fellowship with Christ and move on to something else. The richest wines of God's grace are not on the top shelf where only the spiritually elite can reach them. They're on the bottom shelf where those who fall before the feet of Christ find them. But they are only there for those who will humble themselves enough to see Him. So perhaps that's you. There's two figures in this story. There's a woman of the city. There's a sinful woman who we don't know her background, but she is in desperate need of her Lord. And there's a Pharisee. If you're the kind of person who more thinks of yourself in line with the sinful woman, thinks I'm not really the church type, welcome. Jesus offers you himself. You say, I don't know what to do in worship services. You ask me to turn to a book of the Bible. You say, hey, turn to Luke, and I'm looking around, which one of you is Luke? I don't know my way around the Bible. Welcome. Jesus gives you himself. The other side, Pharisees. You might feel that you're right in your wheelhouse, right in your comfort zone. You've got all the answers, you've got it all figured out. Been a Christian for many, 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 many years. Jesus says, humble yourself yet again. Don't ever get up from the table of my grace and believe that you can walk in your righteousness and not my own. We all, whatever boat we're in, we need to hear this and we need to see this. So the third question. Remember the first one? The first question was, are we, do, we, are we, do we have gratitude or do we grumble? Second, how well do we grasp God's grace? Third, will Jesus' unmerited grace produce abundant gratitude in us? Jesus compares the reactions of Simon the Pharisee and the sinful woman in verses 44 to 46. After telling this story of one who's forgiven this debt of 500 denarii and another forgiven 50, Jesus turns towards the woman, verse 44, and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Okay, pause here. Culturally, you were expected whenever you welcomed a, a, a guest into your home to provide uh, something for them to wash their head, provide a, 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 a welcome, a hospitable welcome into your home. It's like this guy had food spread out. Jesus came in and said, all right, help yourself. No warm welcome for Jesus. Really kind of an almost culturally offensive welcome. But the woman, she rushes in and she goes right for his feet. The dirtiest part of him that needs cleaning. Because she knows her unworthiness before Jesus. But not only does she know her unworthiness before him, but look at what else she knows. Verse 47, Jesus says to Simon the Pharisee, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, now we have to understand this. This wording can be a little difficult to understand. Now, is Jesus saying that her sins are forgiven because she came and washed his feet? No. He's saying her sins are forgiven, or, or it could be translated have been forgiven, and her coming to wash my feet is an example of her gratitude for her sins being forgiven. Later on in verse 50, Jesus will say her faith has made her well, not her act of washing Jesus' feet. And so Jesus is saying to Simon the Pharisee, I am not your insurance policy. I am not to be found boring or insignificant irrelevant to the problems, the trials, the hardships, the, the, the circumstances that your life is in today. No, I am the one who speaks answers. I am the one who speaks life. I am the one who raises you up to myself. I am the one who gives you God. Has His unmerited grace produced abundant gratitude in you. Let's do some diagnostic tests. Now, I want to say at the outset of these diagnostic tests, remember, these, these are not to be guilt-inducing. They are intended to help us to think through what is my heart towards Jesus? Where, where, where might I need work? Okay? Does that make sense? A diagnostic test on your car, right? The light, the, you get the light on your dashboard that lights up. You don't go try to turn the light off. You say, what is the light revealing about me? So I'm just turning some lights on, okay? All right. What is your attitude towards God's Word? What is your attitude towards communing with God in prayer? Do you find Him boring? Insignificant? Irrelevant? With whatever's going on in your world? What is your disposition towards others? Do you look at others feeling like, yeah, they need to clean themselves up? Or do you first look at yourself and say, Lord, give me all the mercy that I can get? I'll have it twofold, threefold, fourfold. Just keep, it, keep helpings of it coming my way. You know, the person who recognizes their great need for the grace of God 
is the person who extends abundant grace to those around them. But if you're quick to temperamentalism, quick to condemnation, quick to judging those that aggravate you, that wear on your nerves, the problem is probably not them. The problem is our poor understanding, our poor grasp of God's grace. You know the beautiful thing about the church? There's many beautiful things about it. But one of the beautiful things about it is that we get one another. We don't get a bunch of people that we see eye to eye with on every single minor and major thing. We get people that we have been given to walk alongside of one another with in the faith. And the wonder of that is that as we recognize how if I'm going to exist with these other brothers and sisters in the faith, I'm going to have to show them grace. That is pushing me towards realizing I need a lot more grace in my life from others, but also from God than I realize that I need. So what is your attitude towards God's Word? What is your attitude or disposition towards others? What does your schedule or your finances reveal about your heart towards Jesus? Does gathering with His church get first priority? Or does it kind of get bottom of the barrel, you know, like if, anything, if all my other plans fall through, maybe I'll make it? What's your perspective towards money or possessions? What do they reveal about your attitude towards Jesus? Are they the things that really rev your engine? Whereas Jesus, He's okay. You know, the wonderful thing about our money, about our time, about the things that are given to us to steward, is that they are given to us that they might reveal in us Either A, the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus in all things, where it's like, I find Him to be of supreme value, or they're given to us in a way that reveal, okay, I need to do a little work here. I'm not saying this to say, hey, you need to up your giving or anything. You're not, no, this is diagnostic test. I'm just asking, what is the condition of our hearts? I don't want us to up our giving and do so from hearts that do not know the grace of God. I don't even know what our most recent giving numbers are. This is not about giving. This is about gratitude towards God. So the question that I ask is the question of, is the grace of Jesus deeply precious to you? Maybe the only way to that this morning would be to pray, Lord, cause your grace to become real to me, maybe in ways that it never has before. Cause the wonder of what Jesus has done to become real to me, maybe in ways that it has never been so before. Cause me to see the pharisaical nature of my own heart that is keeping me from seeing the beauty of Jesus. Or cause me to see the sinful nature of my own heart that will actually then allow me to see Jesus with spotlights shining on him as my Savior who has come and shed his blood for me.
what will it be for you? It's possible you've considered yourself a Christian for many years, or maybe, maybe you've kind of just had a loose relationship with the church and Christianity. I don't know if you're familiar with the TV show Antique Roadshow. Uh, it's about, you know, these antiques that people bring from their home that perhaps they don't know if they have any value or not, and they get them appraised by experts. And the, uh, according to Google, the uh, greatest antique roadshow find that's ever been found, uh, or object that's ever been found, was a Patek Philippe. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. An old pocket watch from Europe that was passed from a grandfather to his father to his son. And, and it, this guy just kept it in his home not knowing if it had any value or not. And he took it on the show and it was ultimately revealed to be worth somewhere between three and five million dollars. Just sitting there in the home, probably, probably in a sock drawer. And it might be that the Jesus that you hear talked about, sung about, all of this, the Jesus that you think you're familiar with, you're just familiar with him in a manner like he's in the sock drawer of no great significance. And you see in here the need for him to become precious. And he says, the way that I will become precious to you is when you see your needs that reveal my beauty and my saving power for you. Will Jesus' unmerited grace produce abundant gratitude in us? If I gave my friend Aaron a band-aid it would have done nothing. Jesus did not give us a band-aid. He entered the raging torrent of this world and of our lives. He did not reach an arm down and grab and pull out. He pulled out and then he jumped in that he might enable us to breathe, to live, to survive. And he went over the waterfall of God's justice and judgment in the cross in your place and in mine. And when we grasp that, we will not look down our noses at him and at those who worship him. But we will find ourselves at his feet weeping. the unmerited grace of God for us must produce abundant gratitude in us. Let me just conclude. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. God, we ask, we plead, we need you to cause your son who has atoned for our sins and who gives us abundant life in him who causes our hearts that were once stone to beat vibrantly with the blood of Christ flowing through them, with redemption on our tongues. 
He causes and He gives us this. Oh, cause this to permeate throughout our souls, throughout our life together as a church. Help us to rejoice in You. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.